0: So we praise God for the wonderful kindness that He has poured out on us, because we belong to His dearly loved Son. He is so rich in kindness that He purchased our freedom through the blood of His Son, and our sins are forgiven. Uh, Ah,以佛所说第一章六到七节，使他荣耀的恩典得着称赞。这恩典是他在爱子里所赐给我们的。uh, like many of you, uh, when I was in college, uh, I had some excellent uh, professors, uh, some men and women who were uh, fine people, uh, who really shaped my life in some significant ways, and some of whom I'll never forget. Third year in college, though, I had a science prof who provided me with the most miserable academic experience of my life. Uh, His instructions were unclear. His expectations were impossible. And his attitude was miserable. Uh, I actually thought there were going to be a couple of guys that would beat him senseless in the class before the semester was over. It got so bad that the university actually fired him before the semester was over and replaced him in our class with a different instructor, which is the only time certainly that's ever, uh, that I've ever had that experience. But every week before he left after class, uh, I had to take a long walk. On a hiking trail uh, that was in our city, just to try to get over the rage uh, and the, the of, that I felt for this person, and the fear also of what he might uh, do. There's no telling what he was capable of, given what he was saying and doing in class. Well, all of us have had people in authority over us uh, who've made our lives really pleasant and have been wonderful uh, people, Uh, teachers, coaches, uh, bosses. And then, of course, uh, we've had others who've made our life difficult, almost certainly. Our parents, because they have authority over us for most of the time for many years, uh, also have the ability to make our lives really pleasant. Or really difficult if they display a stable love for us if they provide for us if they have reasonable expectations of us then more than likely when we are infants and children and through our teens we will bond emotionally with them and we will become secure emotionally secure and emotionally healthy If we think of God at all, uh, we'll probably uh, have a pretty positive perception of him. On the other hand, if our parents are unstable, if they are unloving, or if they have really high standards that we can't meet, uh, we are probably going to develop some very deep insecurities at the core of our personality, and it's very likely that we're going to experience some anxiety maybe chronic anxiety uh, through life, the different periods of our life, certainly if we don't get some insight and try to work that through. We'll also probably believe, if we think of God at all, that God is like our parents, that he's unpredictable, uh, unloving, and maybe impossible to please. We're studying for a few weeks, for seven weeks, the topic, What's So Good About the Good News?, The primary word that the New Testament uses to describe its teaching is the Greek word euangelion, which simply means uh, good news. It's used over 70 some odd times in the New Testament. And in a few minutes, we're going to focus on a piece of that good news, one of these seven pieces of it uh, this morning. And in a few minutes, I think you're going to agree with me that the passages that we are about to reflect on together are incredibly good news Uh, they reveal god to be a more stable uh, predictable loving parent and authority than uh, we can even begin uh, to imagine Uh, the new testament uh, many of you know contains 13 short letters that the apostle paul wrote and sent principally to Christian congregations around the Roman Empire. Uh, he wrote one of those letters to the Christ followers at, in the city of Rome. Uh, Rome had a population at the time is estimated to be at least one million, which no doubt made it one of the largest, if not the largest, city in the world at the time. Uh, certainly one of the most dominant cities in the world uh, at the time. And it's clear as we, if you read Paul's letter to these believers in Rome, uh, that he spent a very significant amount of time composing the letter. It's one of uh, two of the most tightly reasoned letters that we uh, find in the New Testament. And it's a brilliant summary of his teaching. And one of the key points. In the letter is that God, uh, the creator of the universe and the ultimate authority over it. Is good. He's very good. In fact, he is the absolute essence of goodness. He is good beyond our imaginings. And this confirms other teaching, Paul's teaching in in Romans confirms other teaching in the Bible that reveal God to be good, to be pure, to be morally pure, free of any kind of corruption, utterly separate from evil of any kind. And in fact, having a type of revulsion and hatred of evil in any form. Now, of course, we want an ultimate authority over us and over the universe, uh, who is absolutely good. We've probably known corrupt uh, people and authority, and we obviously wouldn't want that. And so it's good news that there is an absolute, that that the sovereign authority over the universe, over the human race, and ultimately over, over human affairs is absolutely good, unless we're guilty of something. And if there happens to be something seriously twisted about us, then God's goodness, to say the least, is problematic. Uh, It is a big problem. Paul's letter in Romans, he has at least two goals. First goal is to fearlessly uh, describe a human race whose relationship with God is broken, a race that is essentially corrupt and helpless to resolve its condition in its situation. And, of course, uh, the evidence of that argument is around us in every generation in the suffering and evil and conflict and wars and abuse and all the rest of it. But in the first of three chapters of his letter to the Romans, he makes this point relentlessly. Paul assumes the role or the identity of a prosecuting attorney. And he is attempting to eliminate from his readers' minds any possibility that there is not something fundamentally wrong with them. And specifically, he says that the human race has insight about God from nature. That is, we can, if we are a very close observer of the beauty, the artistry, the magnificence of nature, we're going to see something about God in that. But that the race, we typically repress that knowledge or push it out of our awareness. He also says that the human race has insight about God. Uh, Through what he revealed to Israel about 1500 years before Jesus, of course, we know that some very significant events happened in the life of the nation of Israel. Uh, He revealed himself to this group of people in a way that he had never previously revealed himself on earth, according to the Bible. And he entered into this special relationship with them and then provided them with some instructions that were to govern their lives, of their relationships, their, their uh, laws, their governance, their economy, and a number of different uh, areas. Uh, so Paul is saying also in these first three chapters that he came down in his relationship with Israel and he revealed a lot about himself through that relationship and through those instructions. And yet, even though... That happened, even though there's knowledge of God in nature. There's also knowledge of God through what he revealed to Israel. The race continues even to ignore that, which was clear, more clear. And so after three chapters of this argumentation, reads a lot in some ways like a legal document, the first three to six chapters of the book of Romans. He ends with a summation. It's almost like he's standing before a jury and he has marshaled all of this evidence and now he's delivering his summation to convince them. And he says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 9 and 12 and following, he says, we have shown that all people are under the power of sin. No one is good. Not even one. All have turned away from God. All have gone wrong. And then he gets even more specific. He says the law's purpose, that is, he's talking about this body of instructions and law that he gave to the nation of Israel. Actually, it was helpful. He gets into some very complicated reasoning here. It was useful It was helpful to the Israelites. Uh, It also had an overarching longer-term purpose. And he says the long-term purpose of it was to leave people with no excuse. There were 600 and something very clear, meticulous instructions, some of which are way, way up there. They're (laughs) difficult uh, to follow through on. And, of course, the Israelites didn't do a particularly good job of doing it for the most part. And he says, the law's purpose to leave people with no excuse, it is to bring the entire world into judgment before God. And then he says, no one can become right with God by doing what his law commands. The more of God's laws we know, the clearer it becomes that we aren't obeying it, and then he says, all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. So he gives us this deep look into the human condition, into the human heart, and of course, if there's any doubt about, I mean, one of the most persuasive arguments of the Bible, we can look on planet Earth, the history of the human race, it's just, my goodness, if we ask ourselves what is fundamentally at the root of the social and the political and the economic and the family and the relational problems and cultural issues all, you know, throughout the Earth, well, this is a very deep explanation of that. Here is the fundamental answer or insight into the human condition and problem. And if it ended there, if Paul just ended his lesson uh, there, or his letter there, well, let's just all go commit suicide. (laughs) I mean, this is really dark news, because you have this magnificent authority over the universe who is utterly, absolutely good, majestic, pure beyond any corruption, and we as a race have fallen a long way from uh, a life and behavior that is pleasing to him. But fortunately, he goes on, and the rest of the letter, he has some spectacular information uh, for his people. He said, after describing all of this, his second goal is to provide some insight into yet another part of God's character and what he has done about the human condition. And this is the good news. Romans 3 and following and Romans 4, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed. And this righteousness from God is given to all who believe. The one who believes in Him is reckoned or judged or considered to be righteous. Those who believe are freely justified by His grace. There's some real depth here. Uh, I've studied this material for a long time and received some really good teaching on this myself. And I've spent hours looking at some of this material this week. And I sometimes still, I still, after all this time, scratch my head because there is some complexity and some mystery and some depth to these verses that we're not likely to plume in this lifetime. But here's a few. Simple observations about what Paul appears to be getting at. First, Romans 3:21, he says, "But now the righteousness of God has been revealed." He says simply, God has revealed this goodness about himself. He has made it known. He has displayed it to the human race, even in the very middle of the corruption. That prevails and Paul says that he has done this through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The teaching of this letter is that Christ is the only begotten son of God, God himself in his Trinitarian nature, and he came among us to achieve several goals. First of all, by coming among us, he demonstrates uh, our value to him. If you have this planet that's gone bad, real bad, and one part of the universe, of course, you could just go away and let it deteriorate and degenerate into ultimate, you know, hell, you know, in in the physical arena. But no, God demonstrates our value to. Uh, to us by getting involved and then he reveals his character in a way that has never been previously revealed that could not be revealed through the instruction to Israel. He personifies his character in the person of Christ and then he displays his righteous hatred of sin by becoming the ultimate sacrifice for sin. For 1,500 years, the Israelites had practiced this tradition of killing animals and God had set this whole system up. If you start reading about it, it's really gross. I mean, they are taking live animals, dove, sheep, and so on, and they are killing them and then spreading the blood of this sacrificed animal over the altar, this altar that God had instructed And it's just kind of it just you can imagine it must have been really, really gross. And you think, what on earth? Why would God reveal or instruct a whole nation of people to center their worship around that? I mean, that just seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? Well, there's a point when you put to death an innocent animal. In such a graphic way, the point was to make it known just how awful that disobedience to God was, how terrible it was to have been severed from him and that something must be done about it. And so after 1500 years of that, he comes among the human race and offers himself as the ultimate sacrifice. Now that's deep. And that is astonishing. But he displays his righteous hatred of sin by becoming sin on our behalf. And reveals a depth of love that is is truly, it blows the mind. He goes on in verse 22 and 23, the righteousness from God is given to all who believe. So this can be given to people, says. And the teaching of Romans and other passages is that we aren't even interested in it. Uh, people aren't interested in God's righteousness. In fact, it's off putting. If we are in our normal human condition, we, we, it's repelling. There's something fundamentally wrong and twisted. And so it's actually a gift of grace that God even stimulates any interest. But if he is gracious, then he will reveal to us that there's something really wrong with us and create within us a desire for absolution, for forgiveness, for change. And so when he grants us. That awareness of our problem. And then, when we recognize the identity of the only begotten Son and what He has done about it, then we can trust in that sacrifice. And at that point, the Bible says that God's very righteousness is given to those who believe. It cannot be developed, it cannot be earned in this respect. It is a gift of this astonishing gift so that God actually in a sense pours his own righteousness into the life of those who believe. And he says Romans in Romans 4, he says the one who believes in him is reckoned to be righteous. To consider, to judge, to count, there's some kind of forensic transaction that takes place in the heavenly arena when a person believes in Christ. So that God crosses over and suddenly imputes into that individual his own righteousness and reckons or considers this person to be righteous forever. And this is the mystery of substitution. He mentions this also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. He says, Christ, I mean, God made Christ who never sinned to become sin on our behalf. So we would become God's righteousness. Now, this is amazing. These are, this is the very heartbeat Of Christianity. And there's deep mystery here. Paul says to the Galatians, he says that this this message that he teaches, this good news that the New Testament proclaims, he said he did not come to it from simply pure human logic and nobody taught him about it. He says it was revealed to him in a special revelation. And, of course, 2,000 years in the history of the Christian church, those in orthodoxy have believed that this this individual, is un- Paul, was a very specially appointed divine messenger that was given this revelation. And, of course, God used him to teach it and to uh, launch a big part of the Christian church that has uh, continued on since that time. And then finally, in, in 324, those who believe are freely justified by his grace. And justification is defined as a state of a person in a condition of righteous acceptance uh, before God. Uh, and he says this state is free. It comes through his grace. We aren't even indebted to him for it. When, if we are the recipient of this, and it happens, it occurs to us. we don't have to pay them back. It's a pure gift from the amazing generosity and goodness of God himself. and it comes through belief. It doesn't come through prayer. I mean prayer. I mean, uh, we can pray, but I mean, people all over the world pray, and they don't fulfill necessarily the conditions that are defined here for entering into this kind of relationship with God. So prayer in itself is not sufficient or a sufficient condition. Religious activity of any kind, sacrifice, there are people all over the world. There's many, you know, multiplicity of religions in the world, all kinds of religious sacrifice. That doesn't do it. Paul says it's recognizing this Unique identity of Jesus and what he has done and embracing that and then trusting in it. So it doesn't matter whether or not we have had some sort of dramatic religious experience. Uh, Doesn't matter uh, what we may have been engaged in or not engaged in the past. The issue is and the way we can gain our security is asking ourselves the question, what am I trusting in right now? Do I recognize that I am in need? Do I understand the solution for that need? And am I trusting in Christ for my acceptance before God? And then in Romans 5, he says, finally, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through whom we have obtained our introduction into this grace in which we stand. So when we believe, it's like we enter through this portal from what we talked about last week. It says he has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, And then he adds the concept in this passage in Romans and says we have obtained our introduction into this grace in which we stand so that we've entered through this portal and we live in a condition in a state in which God, although he's not naive, when a person experiences this, they don't experience instantaneous change so that it's. Wow, this is a totally new person. It are, they are totally new in some fundamental ways, but the outworking of that righteousness, of course, is a lifelong process. Nonetheless, Paul is teaching that we stand in this condition of grace in which we are fully accepted, even though we're completely and fully known. All of our problems and our brokenness, our sins, our troubles, it's okay because God has taken care of it through Jesus. Now, this is, this is really good news. Martin Luther, the famous launcher of the Protestant Reformation, says these verses are the key part of the New Testament that every Christian should know and reflect on every day is his daily bread. And a famous New Testament scholar, Leon Morris, said this passage may possibly be the most important single paragraph ever written in terms of its importance and its significance for the human race and the human condition. Well, what, did, what to wrap all this up, what difference does it make? Well, the, the, the implication, if we get this... Is that this gift of righteousness and justification provides us this eternally secure relationship with God. We are granted his goodness. We become God's righteousness. And that grants us a settled assurance of our acceptance before God. Now. Of course, you know, I went back to the introduction and, you know, we, different ones of us, some of us may have experienced parents that are really good and healthy and effective and some not so good. Uh, Or one parent may have been uh, struggling and and may be abusive in some ways. And so that distorts our thinking. It affects our life, our our decisions, our emotional balance and well-being. But one implication of this teaching is that we can know, regardless of the background, and particularly if it's been difficult, is that the sovereign authority over the universe is on your side. He He has fulfilled every condition and requirement to bond you to himself because he loves you, beyond what you can imagine, and he has embraced you, he has adopted you, he is going to provide for you, even as he's made already this dramatic spiritual provision, and ultimately he is going to deliver you completely in the future from the uh, conditions uh, of sin that we all uh, struggle with. every day. And then if we if if we get this, if we understand it, and then over time, if this settles down and becomes an emotional reality to us, uh, if we are engaged in a community that displays this kind of acceptance and love and grace with each other, and we're communicating authentically and openly with each other, then we can start acknowledging who we really are. A famous educator named Charles Cattering says a problem well defined is a problem half solved. But if we aren't fundamentally convinced at some level of our minds and hearts that we are acceptable to the person who really matters, then it's very, very difficult for us to acknowledge any problems or errors. We can become like the convict in prison who it's always somebody else's fault. But if we grasp the grace and the love and the acceptance of God that's been made available to us through Christ, we can get way more honest with ourselves because we know it's okay to acknowledge struggles, problems, issues. We can get it right out there on the table and know that, yeah, we need to work on that. Uh, There needs to be some change. But it's going to be okay in the grand scheme of things. God is committed to helping us mature and grow through it. And then, as people start relating to each other in marriages and families and also in our relationship with kids, if we get that and we display it and we personify it, that is the power of the Christian community. Because that's life changing. And that's why Paul calls this, in other parts of the New Testament, call this good news. We want to be a congregation that understands this and that displays it to each other and to our families and to those at work, because when people get it, very, very significant and important changes result. Uh, Let's pray together. our lord we we thank you um, that you have revealed this insight amazing um, we we see in your only begotten Son displayed for us a, a righteousness and a goodness um, and a love that that we can't it 's difficult to get our minds around and I know that that uh, Some of us find it easier to understand and believe than others. I know certainly for it to become an emotional reality is is difficult for those who have suffered from abusive relationships. But I pray that you would bless each of us with an understanding of what you have said in this passage. And that it would become real and liberate us uh, to become the kind of people that you want us to be. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.